Welcome to the Transform Podcast. My name is Andrew Farhat. I am the lead pastor of St. John's Church and School in Denver, Colorado, right across the street from Wash Park. And in this podcast, what we do is we consider what it looks like to follow Jesus. We consider what it looks like uh, to be committed to a Christ-centered worldview and operate with that as our lifestyle. This podcast is for you if you are seeking what that might look like or if you have already committed your life to Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Transform Podcast. Uh, my name is Andrew Farhat. So grateful that you're tuning in today. I got special guest AJ Vega in the house. That's right. Hello. How are you? Welcome to the show, AJ. So grateful you are here. You've been such a blessing to our community, and we are grateful for your wisdom. You're going to preach on uh, October 1st. That's right. Yeah. I think our church is uh, looking forward to that. Oh, well, that'll be fun. I'm excited. It's been it's been a couple months since I preached at St. John's, but yeah, just happy to be here. Do an excellent job, and we are grateful. Also, whenever we can have you as a guest on the podcast, and the question that we have for today to answer is a question that I think a lot of people have when they read the Bible. Um, it was a big time question during the medieval period as well as the Reformation. Sure. And the question is this: Why is it? What or sorry, I'm gonna. I, I wrote down the question wrong, so I'm going to restate it. Why is it necessary to believe in not only a loving God, but also a vengeful God? Yeah, that's so big. Yeah, I think uh, a couple months ago I even talked about the wrath of God during church on a Sunday. And uh, sometimes it's not an easy and comfortable topic for people to talk about. But I think we have to be able to hold that intention as we talk about a relationship. Um, and really kind of the basics of it is, you know, we you know, we are designed to be able to love like God does, right? And we don't always do it perfectly, but that's where love really comes from, right? We talk about that in First John. Um, but more specifically is like when you love somebody, you care about them and you want their well-being to be raised up and you want the best for them. And when something isn't right, then you have to be able to respond in a way that makes things right. And, you know, we can only do it in our power uh, in a way that we think is best, but God does it perfectly, and I think that's really huge that we have to be able to distinguish the realization of like the love that we have is very different than the love that God has for us because we live in a broken world, um, because there's sin, um, because things aren't the way that it should be. And I think it's important to be able to address that, that only God himself outside of this world, right, can be able to address what's in the world in order to make it right. Okay, so what I hear you saying is that if we do have a loving God that really cares for creation, yeah. Um, cares for what's going on with people and in the world. He's got to get angry sometimes. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Yeah, and I think it. You know, I'm a big Old Testament nerd, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna yeah, run that. Right. I'm just gonna embrace it. The biggest thing is as we talk about the very beginning of Genesis and we talk about the creation of all things. God creates everything to be perfect, right? And what Adam and Eve do as they're placed into a garden, into a right relationship with God and a right relationship with each other. They're told to eat, to not eat of just one tree. They can eat of any other, any other tree, any other fruit, except for this one tree of knowing good and evil. And what tends to happen for us is that we try to decide what we think is best for us rather than what God thinks is best for us. And that's what Adam and Eve fell into. They fell into that trap of thinking, what is best for me? They think they know how to define what right and wrong is. So they take of the tree of knowing what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. And literally all hell broke loose from there, right? And so there's this 
continuation of this cycle that we call original sin, right? That continues to plague our world where we try to, because sin is just really us trying to define what's good and evil on our terms rather than on God's terms. Um, and that's not how God designed all of creation to be. Everything was supposed to be good on his terms rather than on our terms. And when we put it on our terms, things just get really messy. And, you know, God wants to make things right. And so when he creates something that he loves that's not going the way he's, it's going, the way that he intended it, yeah, there's, you're going to be upset about that because you care so much about the thing that you created or us specifically who he created. And I think when I hear you say we like to take things on our own terms, I wonder if we are also trying to do that with God. Yeah. But not knowing, like you said, like, hey, we get angry too. We get angry uh, for sometimes very good reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And so God also gets angry for very good reasons. I want to go back to what you said about how a loving and wrathful God go together. They're not mm. apart from each other, but right. they go together. And I was wanted to hear your thoughts on <clears throat> this quotation from Timothy Keller, who has passed on to go and be with Jesus. Mm. Um, he says this, The problem is that if you want a loving God, you have to have an angry God. Please mm. think about it. Loving people can get angry, not in spite of their love, but because of it. Yeah. In fact, the more closely and deeply you love people in your life, the angrier you can get. Have you noticed that? Mm, yeah. Like, yeah, tell me your reaction right. to that. Quote. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I just think of, like, the love that a, that a mother has for their child. Like, wow. they care so deeply about their child that, you know, if the kid comes home crying from school because they're being bullied by, you know, their friends for not having a lunch or, you know, the cool shoes you know mom can get really angry at that right and a mom would come storming into the school and say hey why hasn't my child gotten justice for this right because you love so deeply like love is fully complete when there is an attachment to this righteous anger that wants to make things right in order to hold things in a way that god has placed it to be correct and uh, yeah so i totally agree with tim keller's quote on that for sure like love has to involve some form of anger um, when things aren't right yeah, I think you make a great uh, point in, in your example with a loving mom. I don't know if I... Is there, a, is there such thing as a loving mom who never gets angry mm. at, at, at what's done to her children? Like you're in your example, but right. I'm thinking also at her children if they keep on uh, harming themselves. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they... Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I think there's a uh, probably time and time again where kids just do really dumb things, right? Even as adults, we do dumb things. Um, and parents just can't help but be angry because they care so much because they love so much. And that's the same way with God too. Like God cares in, so deeply. Um, and I think sometimes in our culture, what we do is we tend to take this idea of, of revenge or being vengeful um, and just and also angry and really turn it into a negative term. Like we make it into a really negative sense because um, honestly, I don't think we really have, especially as like Western Christianity Americans, I don't know if we have a really good relationship with anger. I think we handle anger in so many different violent ways or unhealthy ways, um, whether it's going to the bottle or it is um, not communicating clearly enough or um, it is being able to bottle up inside until it finally explodes out, right? Um, we have uh, sometimes an unhealthy relationship when it comes to anger. 
And um, I think when we, I think the biggest thing that people kind of will jump to is immediately go to Jesus in the temple, right? And they'll say, look, Jesus gets angry, right? What did he do? He went to the temple. They saw that they were selling things in the temple and he flips the table. And uh, there are times where it talks about that Jesus was indignant, right? That he was angry. And um, yeah, I think sometimes we take that and say, oh, this was a negative thing rather than a really healthy thing because of the love that Jesus has for us. So uh, I think that, like you said, we don't have a healthy relationship with anger yeah. in our culture. Yeah. It's usually seen as a negative, not a positive. Right. You have anger management classes, you yeah. have therapy for angry people who yeah. can't control themselves. And rightly so, it can be, there is certainly unrighteous anger. Mm. James chapter 1 verse 18 talks about that the anger of, a, of an unrighteous person doesn't produce uh, righteousness in their lives. Mm, yeah. um, and he asks us, or he commands us rather, to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's probably good advice for a lot of human nature. Um, True. So, but then maybe what you're also saying is that when we do get angry, we also maybe want to justify it with the example of Jesus getting angry. Right. But I think in that example of Jesus, what you do see is that he is certainly angry towards sin. He's angry at sin towards his father's house, is what it's saying. Right, right. Um, and so, uh, but yet, when are the situations when we get angry? Mm. I think we tend to get angry when we are threatened. Mm. Yeah. When our self-ego is, is threatened. Sure, sure. But I think Jesus, he got angry when his father's glory was at stake. Right. And, and not that... You know, God. Not that the Father needs glory from us; He's already glorious right. on His own accord. Sure. But Jesus was after the honor of His Father. Yeah. That's not typically why we get angry. <laughs> right. Right. It's true. Yeah. Sometimes it comes from a very selfish place. Um, it feels like there is an attack directly on the person itself, and we immediately go into the fight or flight response when it comes to anger. And yeah, that can sometimes be a really unhealthy thing. Um, and we try to mask it with other things in order to make it right. But the reality is that it can't be fully right. And that's, that's, what's so frustrating is like, there's a time for us to be angry and there's a time for us to be able to act on that anger. And it's sometimes really hard to distinguish what's right and to have that discernment as far as what's, what's the best thing for the sake of other people and also for the glory of God as well. Absolutely. So scripture talks about, uh, righteous anger and unrighteous anger course Jesus has righteous anger in the gospel narratives but then let's talk a little bit more about this righteous anger of God mm, yeah. and why it's critical mm. because my question is are we considerate of victims of injustice when we want God to do nothing about it are we considerate of victims of injustice when at the end of time, it says that God, in his vengeance, is going to make all things right. Sure. You know, so think about a victim of rape or a victim of murder or victims of war, and they never get justice in this life. God's word says Jesus' second coming is not only going to be one of love and salvation for those who believe, but it's also going to be one of wrath towards those who have committed evil and heinous sins against others they weren't judged in this life 
but they're going to be judged in the next one. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's really, that's hard to hold in tension, especially for people that have experienced this much pain in this lifetime. Um, and you know, for those that have experienced that kind of pain, one, I'm really sorry that you've gone through that. Um, sometimes it's really hard to live in a place like on earth and experience hell and hoping for God to be able to respond directly in that way immediately. And that's just the, I think one is like, there's a reality of brokenness and sin that has plagued our entire world that just continues to be a cycle over and over again. And two, like, it's really hard sometimes when you're in those moments to be able to hold on to that hope that's coming and that glory that's coming from Jesus himself who plans to return and, and promises to return as well. Um, with that being said though, I think there are two ways for us to be able to look at this is one is, um, God is, God has promised that there is going to be a time when there's going to be wrath and judgment to make all things right at the end. And also at the same time, we have to look at the already finished work of the cross in Jesus. Um, and sometimes that's not always easy for us to be able to hear because we say, if it's already finished, then why am I still going through this pain? But yet God's anger was displayed not on us for eternal damnation and judgment, but rather displayed on Jesus on the cross. As Jesus cries out on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, this God who, who loves all of creation realizes that sin has completely plagued our world. And yet Jesus, as God himself, comes down to the earth, lives a perfect life, completely innocent, dealt with the most injustice on the cross, and took on our sin and our brokenness so that we wouldn't face eternal dam damnation, but he takes upon himself. He takes on that wrath of God on the cross. Wow. So I feel like what you're doing is you're unpacking an aspect of the gospel, which is critical to an understanding of the gospel. Yeah. And if we don't understand it, we're not going to understand the gospel. Right. And it comes from Romans 3, verses 23 yep. to 25. It says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified, that means to, to be declared righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And here's the big word. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness mm. because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Yeah. So what it's saying is God is no longer just going to give a hall pass to these former sins. Right. But there needs to be justice. Yeah. And his, his propitiation, the word propitiation means to appease the wrath of God. Right. So his wrath, as you said, was diverted away from sinners, away from evil people to Jesus. Yeah. His only son. Yeah. On our behalf as our substitute. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah. And I think too, like, you know, it's so easy for us to say, you know, the sin and it, for someone that's been hurt by sin and by just moral corruption or by just brokenness in the world. Um, if you've been a victim of, um, just really intense sin, um, it's easier for us to say, oh, that was God's doing, but that's just a consequence of the entire world of what has transpired for centuries throughout history. Um, since Genesis chapter three, like there's just been this continuous thing and God continues to, um, not only promote justice, 
but also mercy and grace. Um, even for people that have gone and like against God's will, like willingly on their own. And God still says you've been forgiven because of what's been done. I love this quote from, um, Exodus chapter 34, this verse, um, Exodus 34, six through seven is the most quoted verse in all of the old Testament. And it reveals God's heart for his people. Um, and this is what it says. It says the Lord, the Lord, his name, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, which I think we should talk about. What does it mean to be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And I love that last part, to the third and fourth generation. My wife uh, has been reading through Amos, and she was asking, why does this like third and fourth keep coming up? And it's this like, Hebrew phrase that just means over and over again. And it just talks about like who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity, like the sin of the fathers on the children's children to the third and fourth generation like continuously god is going to invoke his justice upon the people who have caused sin and brokenness and also at the same time he's going to forgive iniquity and transgression and sin because he is a god who is who is slow to anger so if we take that and we look at it from 2023 um we have a god that that deals with our sin by being slow to anger and then also forgiving the iniquity by putting the iniquity on his son in the death of Jesus. Wow. And so you're talking about a God who's slow to anger, <laughs> who's loving, who cares about us so much that he would give his only son to pay the price for our sin. Yeah. And so there's something for us to imitate there too when it comes to being slow to anger. Yeah. Like this, the, if you've taken the point of this podcast to be, hey, being angry is a good thing. That's not really the point. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. But God is slow to anger, and he takes care of our sin through giving us his only son. Yeah. And I wanted to also share with you this quote from Tim Keller, because I feel like it uh, piggybacks on what you're saying. And I think it's very interesting. He says this, Consider this also. If you don't believe in a God of wrath, you have no idea of your value. Here's what I mean. A God without wrath has no need to go to the cross and suffer incredible agony and die in order to save you. Picture on the left a God who pays nothing in order to love you. Picture on the right the God of the Bible who, because he's angry at evil, must go to the cross, <laughs> absorb the debt, pay the ransom, and suffer immense torment. How do you know how much the free love God loves you? Or how valuable are you to him? Well. His love is just a concept. Mm. You don't know at all. This God pays no price in order to love you. How valuable are you to the God of the Bible? Valuable enough that he would go to these depths for you. Wow. Yeah, that's that's incredible. That's a great quote. That's why he's famous. <laughs> yeah, he's got some great, great, uh, great quotes for sure. Yeah, I think the biggest thing then is kind of following up of like, well, what does it look like for us when it comes to the wrath of God or vengeance? Um, when something wrong is done to us, how do we respond? And I think sometimes that can be a really big challenge too. I know we've talked a little bit about um, what does it look like for us to be able to do justice um, 
and that Micah 6, 8 quote to do justice, love mercy and walk humbly with our God. What does that look like for us when we're angry, when we're uh, faced with um, real terrible sin and things like that? Should we, you know, for us that have been victims of certain things that have been done to us, um, what does that look like in our day-to-day actions? What does that look like for us? So, Yeah, great question. And I think that uh, first place we go as followers of Christ is we go to Jesus and we say, Jesus, how would you have me respond to this situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that um, in a previous podcast episode, Principal Phil Barnard was on the show and we were talking about forgiveness but and I think that forgiveness is definitely tied into this episode sure. today, sure. because we don't have the power to forgive or the capacity to give forgive, unless it was for the gospel. Sure, the gospel is about God's justice. So, in other words, God mm, already paid the price for that person's sin against me. Right, and so because I've also had the price paid for my own sin. I can take that power and that uh, forgiveness of God and extend it to somebody else. Yeah, well now, said. Situations are complex, so there may be more to the, the healing process than just that. Yeah. However, a powerful first step in our lives is we do get to forgive others as God has forgiven us. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I love how, you know, scripture talks about how it says vengeance belongs to the Lord. Like he says, vengeance belongs to me. That's, he actually speaks it himself. He says, vengeance belongs to me. And also at the same time too, I think he wants us to be able to live a life that seeks justice and to do justice so that, uh, we don't have to go looking for vengeance on our own. Right. Um, that's why I think the Lord has given us a sense of order in the created world. Right. Um, people who have been put in vocations such as police officers or, um, people who have been, um, lawyers or whatever it looks like to be able to serve justice and to be able to be called into the order that God has established in this world to be able to allow for things to be able to be done right in the way that God has established it. And so I think if we're ever in a position of being wronged or there's a temptation for us to be vengeful, one is realizing that vengeance does belong to God alone because he's already done it for us on the cross and he's coming back again to make all things right. And then also at the same time is being able to put trust into the God of order who has established order among his people um, and to be able to trust in systems that um, that can handle things that sometimes are out of our control or that keep us from wanting to go off the rails and try to be able to live a life of vengeance um, against somebody else for our own sake rather than for the glory of God. So are you saying that Christians can be lawyers? Absolutely. I actually recommend it. I actually recommend it. I think it'd be really great. Yeah, big fan. Christians can be police officers? Christians can and should be police officers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They, so what yeah. you're saying is we need more followers of Christ in those vocations. In those spaces, so yep. there can be good justice. Because yeah. Because we're operating with a worldview that promotes forgiveness. And then also, you don't really love and help people unless there is justice. Right. You don't really love people unless you also punish sin too yeah absolutely you know, like yeah. if people just keep on keep on doing what they're doing and harming other people right they never have any consequences that's not good for society right yeah and people who have experienced you know um you know traumatizing events or things 
where you've been hurt before, um, where might the Lord be calling you to help somebody else who might be in need? Um, and that's how we respond in a way that, that honors and glorifies God because uh, God has created all things and he wants all people to be living a life of joy under his umbrella, under his kingdom, under his rule. And so how are we then aiding in that um, for the glory of God, for Jesus Christ to be preached and the gospel to go forth for the righteousness of all people um, in Christ alone? Absolutely. Yeah. So AJ, any other dimensions of this topic that you were passionate about sharing with our audience today? Oh, I could go for hours on this topic. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the biggest things is I think as we look at scripture, I think there are moments where um, oftentimes the, you know, I think sometimes in culture we can look at like the Old Testament is like saying God is a vengeful God here. And then like New Testament, we get baby Jesus. We have a really nice God. Marcy. He's great. Yeah. Marcy. Yes. Second century we would consider him a false teacher. Yep, 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 yeah, Marcionism, yeah, don't recommend. Um, but yeah, so I think if we allow for the Old Testament and New Testament to be one story of a God who loves and a God who's also vengeful and also gets angry at his people um, over and over again because of their rebellion, because of their sin, it's not like he just gets angry for no reason, right? He, he's a God who's slow to anger and people are, are doing things and he's responding to that sin, responding to that brokenness. Um, we have to look at it as one story that connects to Jesus, that there's a time when God is going to um, completely direct his anger on his son, Jesus, for the sake of salvation for the whole world. And also a time that's coming that Jesus is going to come back and make all things right. And um, yeah, just one, looking forward to the second coming of Jesus, big fan. Um, and two, I think as we continue to live in this tension as Christians, I think it's important for us to be able to understand that we are still going to face sin and brokenness in the world, but vengeance is not ours because it's already been dealt in Jesus and uh, we'll always be belong to Jesus too. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. <laughs> See, when I, here's the thing that's interesting. When I was a newer believer, I think I just wasn't yet mature and comprehending things. So I was like, mm. oh, I'm young, and I want to I want to do all these cool things before Jesus comes back. But now it's just like, man, I can't wait because, it, you know, it's just, just described as restoration, yeah. sinlessness, no more tears, mourning, or death, or pain. It's described as steak and wine and a big party with Jesus, and he's going to be yeah. on the microphone. Yeah. I just cannot wait for that. And hopefully a nap afterwards, because after you eat all that good food, <laughs> you just got you just got a nap after. That's funny. I never, I never have thought about that. Yeah. Do we sleep in heaven? You know what? We're talking about rest in a few weeks. I saw that on our schedule, so That's I'm excited nice. to talk more about that. Yeah. yeah, and you're going to be a guest for that one. I am. I am. Yeah, looking forward to it. That's awesome. Yep. And I'll just wrap it up with this. I think this question today presupposes that we are all sinners that deserve God's judgment. And I think that that could be a new concept for some of the listeners today. But what I would tell you is the reason why we believe that is, you know, just like in a marriage when we are, like if we are, if we were to run after uh, another spouse that's not our bride, um, it would cause great pain and sorrow. But yet in our relationship with God, we do that all the time. Mm. We run after other gods. We chase after other idols and we make them ultimate 
and we make them supreme and they become God's substitutes. And so we should expect God to have some frustration over what's happening because he loves us so much. But he sends Jesus to pay the price, to demonstrate his love, to make atonement for sin, and then to use the word that Paul uses earlier, to bring propitiation, to divert the wrath of God away from us sinners to Jesus. And so if you're listening, and this is new information, and you've been moved by the love of God for you, you're, you're invited to put your faith in Jesus, to accept what he did on the cross and through his resurrection for you. And by accepting, by faith, and by the power of the Spirit who leads you to be able to do that, uh, you have forgiveness, salvation from sin and death and judgment. You, your name is written in the book of life. You are seated with Christ in the heavens right now. You're raised with him. You're spiritually resurrected. Yeah. You're given a new birth. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, amen. It's an amazing thing. So uh, we invite you always to receive that or if you want to keep on uh, listening and studying and and considering that's awesome as well we'd love to hear more of your questions you could submit those to hello at sjdenver.org and we will see you next time take care